Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire. Jeff, could you maybe laugh just a little bit less? Come on, man. Ready, go! <clears throat> Hello, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for subscribing. This is my chat with Greg Swanson, the Warrior Mind Coach. This is a lot of fun. Uh, I first came into contact with Greg when I listened to his episode on the One You Feed podcast with Eric Zimmer. And that is a great show, so I encourage you to check that one out too. So a little bit about Greg. He was in uh, corporate sales. Uh, we both... Um, we both lived in Hawaii. We have that connection point. He survived an avalanche on a mountain climbing trip, and that completely changed his life. So he's got a lot of beers uh, and a lot of rooming, and um, this is a really fun uh, conversation, fun chat. My conversation with Greg Swanson, the warrior mind coach. You can find his stuff at warriormindcoach.com Okay, now without further ado my chat with Greg Swanson. Enjoy. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to vroom vroom beer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Hello, Greg Swanson. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Jeff, thanks so much. I'm really excited about our discussion and appreciate the uh, the opportunity to share a little bit with you. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy that likes to talk about stories and uh, just listening to you on the uh, Eric Zimmer's One You Feed, the One You Feed, um, yeah. I was like, okay, this is a guy that I would be fascinated to talk to. Uh, and uh, you got me curious. Uh, I liked, I thought immediately... Um, your life and, uh, and your story and the way you structure your business had a lot of different elements that really super intrigued me. So I, I can't wait <laughs> to get into Wonderful. this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, you got, you and I seem to be a little connected as far as like a uh, uh, life approach. So, yep. um, all and right. Also we have, and also we have Hawaii in common. Oh, okay. Well tell, tell me a little bit about how we, uh, were you in Hawaii for a while? Did you live there well, for a while? When I was when I was in corporate sales, so I was in corporate sales for about 20, 25 years, um, high tech telecom sales, and Hawaii was one of my territories. I had California and Hawaii. Rough duty. So, uh, so I had <laughs> so I had to quote had to go over there about once every six weeks to visit Hawaiian Tel at that time before every six were, weeks that can get a little that, that would be a little rough even if you're going to Hawaii but you know right. if you got to go you somewhere know, every six weeks 
<laughs> right. Well, the thing is, I had to go to each island because each island had their own island manager in charge of communication. So I would go to each island, and then, you know, on the on, on Oahu was their main headquarters. So I would, you know, I didn't see them that often as my regular clients in California. So we would do breakfast, we would do lunch, we would do dinners, we would do everything. So um, I I visited there so much that I started to get comma Ina rates. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, and then they, and then you start picking up like the local like dialect. Oh, did you did you start saying Dakain? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. and then the, the the cadence of the words and all yeah, of it. Yeah. I just I would fall as soon as I my feet hit the uh, the tarmac, if you will. It was just pure Hawaiian mode. Yes, I loved. One of my favorite things about um, living in Hawaii was being able to like leave and then come back. <laughs> As soon right. as you land, it doesn't matter what island you're at, but I think particularly Oahu, that was where I landed most often. As soon as you get off, you feel that breeze and then you smell flowers yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> at the airport. <laughs> it yep. was great. Uh, it was wonderful. So we do have a little bit of Hawaii in common, and I would uh, I would actually go over to some of the military bases with Hawaiian Tel to provide services and stuff. So we, we we may have more in common than we first thought. Yeah, you know, I um I worked up under the pineapple fields by Wheeler. Okay, did you ever yep. get around there? Right at the end oh. of H two. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, everywhere. But, you know, <laughs> I think between military and myself, I've gone to almost every place on on the island at yeah. at some point. You know, when I first saw your picture on your website, I thought you might be a Marine. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not, but I, I do appreciate the um, the discipline sure. that the military has, and I and I subscribe to that a lot. You know, in warrior mind coaching, it's it's ne- it's not necessarily the warrior is the one that goes out and does the battle externally, but it's more the one that does the battle internally. And you know, in my in my philosophy, it's it's the person who masters themselves physically mentally emotionally and spiritually yeah i love that too and a lot of your stuff has the dan millman way of the peaceful warrior sort of feel to it yes yep exactly <laughs> so so incorporating you know we all have teachers throughout our lives you know we go through these spurts whether it's dan millman for a while or carlos castaneda for a while and they all seem to be they all seem to come together into our own personal style and how we live and our philosophies so we chatted a little bit and we want to dig into some of your stories and maybe some of those that you haven't had a chance to share um, and right. you think have value. Um, and you know, like the concept of the show is transitioning from vrooming uh, yep. and that's like life on autopilot moving maybe a little too fast, but kind of in an unconscious mode. And mm-hmm. then for for whatever reason you need to veer and that and that is like a change and an awakening. So where do you want to start in the life story of Greg where you were rooming? Well, I think a great place to be is um, just post 2000 when I was still in high tech sales making well into six figures just having a great time. I mean, I had a beautiful house uh, uh had Hawaii as a territory, California as a territory. Work was great. I had a home office, so there wasn't this big commuting. It was it was great. And then the bubble burst. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Around the 2000 time, time frame, the bubble burst or the second bubble, if you will. And, high, and the telephone companies and high-tech companies stopped buying. 
because they've already bought so much infrastructure that is the cable, the electronics, et cetera, et cetera, that they didn't need to buy any more. And that's one of the companies I represented sold that. So myself and our whole team was let go. Whoa. <laughs> Right, and so let go. There was a severance package and other things, but you know, it, it still you were just was kind of like no longer needed. You were serving, right. Oh wow! And and the, the the funny thing is, about three weeks before that, we were at a sales award for the bit for the company, and we were all supposed to go down to um, Atlantis as a reward, uh, as a sales reward. And then three weeks later, we all got downsized. So we never got, wait a minute, Atlantis, the, the mythical city under the sea. No, that's a, it's, uh, (laughs) it's in the the Caribbean. It's a, uh, a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. The resort. So we were all scheduled to go down there. I thought you knew where it was and you weren't telling. (laughs) 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 So, so, you know, hit my peak in sales and then got downsized and uh, and then started looking at how I was living. So this is part of these, you know, this awakening that you talk about, which sure. took actually probably about five years to really become awakened. But I, I, I looked at where I was and it was a wonderful area, had my kids there, but realized that perhaps it was a little bit too large for me, you know, too much, too much stuff. And so at that time, my fiance and I decided to, quote, downsize. And we started looking at different areas to live in. You know, we, we had not uh, – she lived in California most of her life. I lived in New Jersey, Maryland, and then California, lived there for 15 years. So we said, where should we, where should we move to? And we made, made a list because we didn't think our, the house was going to sell that quickly. So we had Bend, Oregon on the list because my nephew had been here. My brother had been here and talked very highly about it. We put down Boulder, some places in New Mexico, and we had this list. So we put the house up for sale. It sold within two days, 1000 over asking, asking for a 15-day escrow. Now, that's a, that, good for you. It's good for so, us. But we didn't so have no actually, place to go to. It, it, good good news is, yeah, yeah, I've done that before. It's okay. Right. You know, one, <laughs> that's one of those. <laughs> you're, you, it's like a blessing and a curse all at once. So you kind of just have to run with it, you know. And that's what we did. We got in the car and drove up to Bend because it was the place that was closest to get to, the quickest to get to. <laughs> we looked at it. We looked at it thought it was just a fantastic place and decided to to move up here and start um, you know a business at some point. I hadn't decided at this point what I wanted to transition to. So I was doing some internet marketing, some network mar- marketing, MLM companies, and just whatever was float whatever seemed attractive at that time and got up to bend and decided those things weren't working. So I got back into sales again, telecom sales, but this was more selling long distance and it just didn't resonate. I knew from the very beginning, right? You, you, you get something and you just know it's not going to work out. Okay. And, and so I kept going after it, trying to make a a go at it when lo and behold, I got recruited. The bubble had now healed. Okay. (laughs) And telecom companies were now buying and I got recruited to a company in the Bay Area. Oh, nice. And, yeah. And so I loved the Bay Area. Loved the Bay Area. Got down there and just made that the, – the years I was there, I made the most I ever made in sales. It was just phenomenal. Just absolutely phenomenal. 
Well, they decided to change their distribution model of sales and decided to downsize. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Here we go. Is this like scratching the record? It, it's like you're getting tapped about, right. about you know, you're going through the death throes of telecoms, basically. Yep. And, <laughs> And I kind of sensed it for a while. So that's when I started looking at becoming a coach, you know, and, and becoming a, a personal development coach, if you will. And I, and here's where this, this, this part, when I was down in the Bay Area, it was for a couple of three years, I knew I didn't like the sales anymore. Although I was doing very well at it, I just wasn't, it just didn't inspire me anymore. There was too much politics. There's too much other things with it. I think sales is a wonderful career. I highly recommend recommend it. It's the best thing almost besides being an entrepreneur if you can be in sales in a high ticket item. But I realized that I wasn't having that passion in life anymore. I was missing that, missing that passion of getting up and why am I going to work and why am I doing this and the big whys. And this is, you know, I, I, I kind of look at this as this is for most people between ages 35 to 40 to perhaps 50 is this midlife transition. Right. And, and right. The universe tapped me on the shoulder, said, Hey, you've been in these jobs before you don't like it. So we're going to get you out of this job. So now you have to make a decision on what you really want to do because it's not going to be sales. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sales is over for you now. (laughs) Right. right, It's over. That's that, that part of your life is done with. Understood. Although, although we always do sell, we're always selling something, but you know, what I meant was in the in respect of working for a company as a sales uh, executive, right? In that particular sort of like telecom world, right? It was the universe is telling you it's time to move on. That's that's the quintessential midlife non-crisis right. and that's or crisis. Veer. That's the veer. That, it that, is the veer. That's the veer. That that's is the, the veer, veer moment. Completely. Right. And and what happened was for a couple of months before I got downsized, I knew I wanted to do something different. So perhaps you can relate to this. Perhaps your, your, your listeners, I didn't know what it was, but I knew there was something missing. Sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. There was this lack and I didn't know what it was. And so I'd go to workshops, I read books and they said, follow your passion and then the money will come. Follow your passion. Well, Jeff, I'm sure I'm like you, I have many passions. Yeah. Like I don't have one passion. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Very few people have just one thing. We figured that out. Right. Right, right. But yeah. they say, follow your passion and the money will come. Well, I go, well, I like to work out. I like to climb mountains. I like to do rock climbing. I like to read. I like to you know, help people. I, how can I – so I started thinking, how can I put all this together? Okay. And, and it never came together because what – after year of contemplation and looking and working and, and figuring this out, this what I came up with was this. We all have multiple passions. But we have one passion that we love to share with others, and the other passions are for our own self-enjoyment. I think you're right. Yeah, that's, that's a they're good all one. For, right. they, it's not being self-centered. It's just we do it for our own intrinsic pleasure. Right. So for me, it's working out, hiking, camping, rock climbing, mountain climbing. I love that. I don't want to be a guide. Right. I don't want to be a personal trainer. You're although doing I try it for to- you. You're doing right. all of those things for you. Yeah. And you don't want for to help me. other people because it would ruin right. the buzz. <laughs> right. With that. However, I what agree. I realized what I realized is when I did talk with other people, friends, families, and others, I I the subject would always come around to, for lack of a better term, personal development. That they're holding themselves back by their thinking. 
and they are creating these stories that hold them back. And I would try to encourage them to, you know, is that really a true thing you're saying to yourself? So after reflecting, I, I found, ah, this is where coaching comes in. This is where I, I love to help people, but all the other passions are for me. And, and for, for Jeff, for me, that was such a big aha moment because it was just a relief that I didn't have to try to fit all these other passions into helping people. And, you know, that was that kind of that it still was on that veer path. Yeah. You know, and for me, I think it was um, the mode became something to do with speaking. So that's why for now I'm doing podcasting. Because to me, uh, I, like you, I have tons of different sorts of passions, right? But speaking in, in any sort of venue, even if it's like talking in a classroom or, or talk, giving even like a big public speech or chatting like what we're doing right now, it's effortless for me. And, and that, that is a rare gift that, that I need to cultivate uh, I understand that because like everybody always says, you know, it's like the number one fear. And I'm like, oh, well, that's cool because it's a superpower for me. I love right. doing it. It's that's like I tried blogging for a while, you yeah. know, uh, and that just sucked all my juice. I was yeah. like, I can't do this. But chatting with you, that's effortless. So yeah. whatever it is that I, I want to share, it has to do with using my voice like this, you know, talking, you know. Right. Uh, right. And, and you found that out. I mean, you found that out pretty nat- naturally, or it, it sounds like it took you less time than it did me, because part of what my hindrance was, my roadblock was the financial part of it, right? Okay, I, sure. I your, from your bio, you know, you've you've been in that six-figure income range, also, and it's nice. It's not not that money is everything. However, it does provide the luxury of perhaps going out to dinner twice a week instead of once a month you know right. it, it allows you to do some vacations allows you to to do some things so i was always kind of wanting to hold and I, and i and i would hold on to that sales the sales job for a while even while i was coaching i'd look at res, look at jobs and i put resumes in put resumes in i would put 20 resumes in i get 3 calls and then go no further and then i you know so there was this big i mean it was a big stop sign like no you're not going there you are not going there <laughs> sure. right and i and i would occasionally sneak back and test and think that the universe wasn't watching me and i put a job app in and you know <laughs> <laughs> is anybody watching me and yeah. and you know and i would get to two interviews and then oh no we closed the position down we don't have and so after a while, I just had to release it. It was just like, this is... Let's drill down on that a little bit because I went through a similar situation and I think it goes to sort of like a couple of different things. You are chasing a little bit of a thing. You know, you, you're chasing the money, right? A little bit. You go, this is a thing that I know how to do and I can kick ass at it and my life will be easy. There's yep. always that, that voice is always going to be there, <laughs> Right. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had that, and actually, um, where I'm at now is I understand that my overall dream is to do something like podcasting or public speaking and making money like that, either as a speaker or podcaster or whatever. But I'm also looking at things to do side hustle just to give Mama a little like peace of mind and shoe money. Yep. <laughs> So, now the shoe money probably comes first before the peace of mind, right? She could care less about peace of mind. The peace of mind is for me. Right. <laughs> 
She only cares about shoe money. She's very yep. much like Cuba Gooden Jr. Right? Oh, Show me yeah. the money. Yep. <laughs> so sorry, I interrupted. Uh, continue. No, no. no, but that, but that's you know when for for when I coach folks, what's interesting is that when there's this resistance to what we're trying to do, at some point we just have to release it. And for me, it took a very long time because, again, I knew I was good at sales. I knew I could do it. And even though I enjoyed my coaching, my coaching business started off small and, you know, it was just a few people there that was more, they more needed therapy than coaching. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's typical. Right. And, And so it was always this, this, the, you know, the sales part with it. And it took me, a you know, probably a couple of years, Jeff, to just say, okay, I'm done with it. And, and, um, it's just, it's just through, I need to go back to coaching and just even to, to underline this a little bit more. I was recently a consultant with a sales training company. So it wasn't really selling, but do the training and the, and the delivery, but it was all focused on sales. And when I signed on with them, my personal business started to dwindle. Oh, I, right. Okay. I, and I wasn't getting any success in the other aspect. So when I terminated the agreement, within one week, I got five clients. See, there you go. Right. And so it's this pent up energy. You know, there's, there's as you're saying, the vroom, vroom, veer. The veer now is the vroom, vroom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Right. Sure. So, so and, and so all because this, this midlife change that was put upon me, thank goodness, because I don't know if I would have actually consciously made this change without being downsized. Right. And you know, when I when I look back on it, these are things that um, I see people going through a lot. Is they're they're in a position, they're in a job, they're lucky enough to still have the income, but they want to find something else. And so, you know, we talk about what's their passions, and 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 so I can relate this story to to them because it took me five years to get this together. <laughs> right, right. So when did it when did your coaching business really start taking off and and helping or or get to the point where it started supporting you financially? I'd probably say it was two years ago okay. where where I put together a couple of special packages basically to help people through what I went through. You know, I, I do regular one-on-one virtual, but I also had this private workshop that I did. Once I put, I put this out there on my, on my web, my web wasn't very popular at that time. I was doing blogging, a blog post every day and it was like killing me. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's brutal. <laughs> but it was, it was interesting is that I put this, this new package on my website within one day, I got a client calling and said, I'm coming out there. Wow. Right. So wow. these are all signs that I you know, was, lo- lo- was looking at that saying, OK, I'm going in the right direction. I just need to trust it. Right. Now, let's talk a little bit about because I'm assuming I don't know. So you, you're going to you, if it's if the answer is no, that's fine. But some of the uh, let's touch on some of the keys in your coaching strategy, because it seems like those might represent veers in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. So is there a veer that's related to this idea of um, a warrior mind? Is yeah, that, does that have a story that, that, that relates it, to a veer? Um, a veer in that I, when I was in sales, I would start I, – I, I didn't work out a lot when I was in sales and I, now I work out 
excessively almost. <laughs> okay. No, it's a and, good high. You know, if you got to yeah, be yeah. addicted to something, might as well be addicted to something healthy. Yep, exactly. And so I realized that as I worked out more intensely, I started to get a little bit mentally stronger, if you will. I could go through pain. I could go through some challenges. And I started to utilize that in my sales. And um, and really through that, through personal development and really where it came to a head, and I, I've discussed this on my site and on my YouTube was when I was involved in the avalanche. So the right. fear was it was basically the avalanche where it was that mental strength, the physical strength, the personal – I mean the, the spiritual strength and emotional strength all had to come together to basically survive and walk off the mountain. And this was well before I, I – had I even thought I was going to be in coaching. This was still when I was in sales. But when I looked at what it took to for a warrior mind, that is a person who can master themselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, it was that that event, so that veer that really culminated to it. And that that I had to have all those four things. If I lost any one of those, then you know who knows what would have happened. Yeah, that's yep. that's an amazing story. Dig into the the avalanche story. Let's. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but yeah. if there's some pieces that maybe are a little too deep, or maybe were a little too vulnerable, that you haven't put out there so much. Yeah, you know, part of the reason why my brother and I were on there was his his son, my nephew was killed a few years earlier in a helicopter accident in British Columbia learning how to do an avalanche course. So my my nephew was a big mountaineer, just loved the outdoors, loved it. He got me involved in rock climbing, got me involved involved in mountaineering. And so my brother wanted to experience the high of being on the mountain like his son did. And so we were up there and not not too many people knew about about it. We told the guide why we were there in case things emotionally started to come up, he would, the guide would have been prepared for that. Okay. And so, you know, as, as, as we were climbing up disappointment cleaver, it was, you know, they call disappointment cleaver for a reason. Most people turn around there because it gets so excruciating hard. Okay. I mean, you're, you're, you're walking at a very steep incline, high altitude, breathing just excessively. And it was through that point that you know we we kind of both connected with with my nephew and and understood what he was going through is that pain, but then when you get to the top, it's that pleasure. So you know, go, going through that pain, and it was, you know, we stopped and talked about it a little bit, and I've really never discussed this before, um, but that's one of those those parts of that climb that it wasn't just the avalanche; it was what led up to it, why we were on the mountain in the, in the first place, and then the. I don't want to even call it synchronicity, but the fact that we were caught in an avalanche, you know, kind of. It's more of an ironic, right? Yeah. It's an irony. There you go. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things is that um, before we went on the mountain, I was talking to my brother's wife and I said to her, don't worry, I'll bring him home safe. (laughs) I hope you did. Well, we did, but th- what was the scary part is that when I was sitting off the cliff, he was so there. I was in the last of the five of the rope crew, so there was a, people behind me. I was the very last one. You were the anchor, right? Is that what they and call so it, I'm, right? Yep. So I'm sitting on the ledge with people beneath me. My right. only thought is my brother is beneath me, mm-hmm. right, hanging off the mountain, and I don't hear him. 
And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I told his wife that I bring him home safe. And he's, and I, I was with this thought for about three hours till I realized after they secured me and I looked around and I heard his voice that he was okay. Mm, And for three hours I was dealing with how am I going to tell her or what's going to happen and all the guilt that came with it about you know, because I kind of convinced him we should do Mount Rainier as opposed to another ma- mountain. And it was all this mind chatter and mind frick that came up. And thank goodness, you know, we both got off safe. Most of the people did too. There was one person who did not, unfortunately, get off safe. But you know that that you know the the story itself is one thing, but the story behind the story is another. Yeah, I mean, your life was never the same after that. No, no, it wasn't. And you know, it wasn't the same after my nephew. Uh, died also because of the lack of communication about, you know, mountains and hearing his stories, you know, you, you like stories and he had great stories of mountains and rescuing people. And he was on a rescue team. And, and so that was all part of, you know, that adventure that we took up to Rainier, which we kind of kept close to the vest on that. Sure. Oh yeah. Wow. And when you come back from that, I mean, obviously you've got to get over almost like a, a post post traumatic stress disorder it, it, it was exactly that it was exactly that i will tell you jeff that um i remember specifically sitting in my 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 town home um and i took some days off of of work i was actually i was in, on the flight and people knew about the avalanche so i was in a wheelchair they were all talking to me on the flight the stewardesses the or the, the flight attendants i'm sorry um and others, and then I had somebody pick me up at home and went back to, to home. And I'm sitting there, and reporters were coming down from Seattle and interviewing me. And then once all that kind of fizzled out, everybody got the news feeds and were gone. I realized at that point it was almost like my uh, ego checked out in that I didn't see the importance in a lot of things. I appreciated being alive. Amen. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I yeah. appreciated being alive, but I kind of dismiss the importance of, I have to make this sale. I have to make this, I have to do this, right? It was all the, the stuff that just didn't, didn't mean, and I don't mean this in a bad way. It just didn't mean anything. It really had no meaning because we're going to die and there's going to be people selling after we die. There's going to be people selling. And and it's in the whole, you know, you talk to, you you go to these sales meetings and everybody gets rah, rah and all this other kind of stuff. And, Mm. and it just, it just was like this, such a peaceful feeling of, it just doesn't matter. It's a good yes, and I and I I know people that don't sort of experience these sorts of life and death sort of situations. When you face a life and death situation, and you come out the other end, the volume of of little things, right? <laughs> you know, like everybody's freaking out because of the boss is mad, right? So what? <laughs> yeah, the boss isn't going to kill anybody, is he? No. Okay, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> Unless he works at the post office. <laughs> right, right. Or he's, he's swinging a machete around or something. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so, and so that's that, that's this is where this calm came over, and it was such a peaceful, blissful experience that I was able to maneuver. You know, if somebody cut me off, hey, they're probably in a hurry. Something's going on in their, in their life. Nothing. Nothing affected me. It wasn't that I was a zombie. It was that. Everything was peaceful. The, you know, the, it, it, the volume was turned down. Yeah, exactly. You know, the volume was turned down, and you kind of get like this. What is it? You know, I guess it's almost like it's like when the astronauts went and saw Earth from the moon. Yeah. yeah. Right. And yep. went, 
whoa. You know, it's that clarifying moment. What are we all bickering and arguing about? <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. And that, and, and, and that was such a wonderful experience, that part of it, you know, the aftermath of it was such a wonderful experience that I've often thought about how, how do I get back there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think, um, right. You know, that's part of the show. You know, part of the show is is trying to pick the brains of people that have been to the mountain and survived. Right. Uh, and then they, you come back and you an- ask yourself that question every day. How do I build structures that include, you know, you know, whatever, a practice, say like right. a meditation practice, obviously some sort of exercise routine. You want to keep your diet right and keep everything. You want to keep your body as fit as you can and healthy as you can. And so you have the energy and the mobility to keep having fun, you know, yep, and, yep. and doing not just having fun, but helping people and, you know, and doing your good work. Um, and part of that, again, too, is... Uh, Having really cool people in your life, yeah, yes. you know, a really good, solid uh, social structure. So, what sorts of things do you do? Do you have a meditation practice that you do? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I'll, I will talk with people about structure, and I like that word. I, I appreciate you you using that word. And often, when I talk with clients or friends or anybody about structure, they think it's about this routine. This they have to be regimented. And I and I explain it that. The structure in your life is kind of like the banks, the the river banks. They're there to hold the river in place, but the river does whatever it wants. Amen. So you have you have this spontaneity that goes between the river banks. If you didn't have any river banks, the river would run, run all over and make a mess of things. It would flood. It would it would create havoc. It would create death. It would create destruction. So you have this this structure. So you have structure, or like I put structure in my life, and then. In between the structure, I allow the spontaneity to happen as opposed to keeping it so structured. So, you know, you ask if I have a a practice. I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I'll meditate from anywhere between a half hour to 45 minutes first thing in the morning before I go to the gym. And then I'll go to the gym and and do my strength training in the morning, come back, have breakfast, and then I have some structure. But then, you know, around 11, 12, 1 o'clock, I kind of let it free flow to go out and have lunch with friends. Or if it's sunny, I'll go lay outside or something. And then I'll create some structure again in the later on in the afternoon where I'll go back to the gym and do CrossFit or, or something like that and then do some reading at night. But I, I, I segment the structures with some non-time, if you will, to allow yeah, – yeah, yeah, just to, to allow – right. But if, I, but if I allowed the whole day to be that way, I'd get nothing done. Right. And if I structured it all day, I wouldn't have any spontaneity. It's just like what Tony Robbins says. It's like the first thing we want if we were, say, like lost naked on an island and cold and naked, we would right. want a little bit of certainty in our lives at that moment. Yep, but yep. once we have a little bit of certainty, the next thing we want right after that is a little bit of uncertainty. <laughs> yep, exactly. The variety. Right? The variety. Yeah. A little surprise, yeah. you know. Oh, and the other thing that you made me think of uh, was I just had a chat with uh, another guy for the show, and he does his own workshops. Okay. And he was kind of a, a logical brain sort of guy. So his first couple of workshops were very super structured, you know, where right. he had like mapped out every little word and every little detail, and it was all time hacked out, you know. And um, and now he's done. He's on like his tenth one. 
Okay. Yep. And each one has been progressively more, or sorry, less structured. Yep. I, I, I completely understand that. My private one-on-one where I call it my warrior quest, which is basically a vision quest to help to help people go through what I went through in a condensed period of time. Mm-hmm. Well, when I first developed it, it was, okay, this we're going to do this, 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 and I had it all laid out. Not necessarily the time, but I knew how long it was going to take and – we didn't. I didn't allow much of uh, a spontaneity to arise because I had to get all these processes in in this three days. Heavens forbid, if I don't get all these processes in, the client won't think it's worth it. Yeah, and I learned to release that pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because, well, yeah. And you know why? Because uh, trying to stay on a schedule is going to burn out your CPU. Yep. <laughs> and the and, one in between your ears. I mean. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, whether it's a workshop or one-on-one. That's not allowing the client to be spontaneous and to go with right. his, and, and, his or her flow. And you're going to be too much in your head thinking yep. about all the sorts of things you don't need to be thinking about. Yep. And, and there are times in life where you have to have that structure, right? When you're going climb, climbing a mountain, you want to have that structure of totally. a team with you. You got to check all your equipment. You got to do all of that. Well, I think it's like what you said. It's like you have to do both. Right. But it's like the way a good football coach – or a good general, you know, looks at planning. Right. Your planning is your structure and you have to plan. You have to yes. have a plan. You just have to know that the plan, if you're, if you're playing football, the plan is out the window as soon as you say hut. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> because then you have to say, all right, we had a plan. Now what's going to happen? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and you have to deal with the life as it comes at that point. Right. But you it's have like to Mike go- Tyson said. Yeah, right. It's like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get hit hit in the face. Exactly. Same idea. Yeah. In the military, that's you know, that's that was key too. I mean, you always want to have a commander, say like a captain out there or a major that's running, you know, ten or a hundred guys right. that knows the plan right. and knows the objective, but you don't want to tell him how to tie his shoes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, 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 you know, there's – so part of my life has, has been that structure and letting that, that, that go open. These veers have allowed – known – have taught me that I, I can try to control or have structure around so many things. But no matter how much those veers are going to come in and take me in a completely different direction, and it's best to just go with it. As Abraham Hicks says, you know, swim downstream. Don't swim upstream. <laughs> Did you ever hear uh, Wayne Dyer do the whole thing with uh, row, row, row your boat? No, I haven't heard that one. He does like the the whole the whole uh, life lesson with row, row, row your boat. It's fun. Uh, we could do it. It's quick. <laughs> so it's, it's row, row, row your boat, right? And not anybody else's boat. Oh, okay. right. So that's that's where it starts. And then uh, gently. So whatever you do, do it gently. Mm. And then downstream, don't turn it around and try to go upstream. <laughs> right. And then merrily, right. merrily, merrily. Right. Yeah. That means just keep a smile on your face. And then yeah. what was the last bit? Oh, life is but a dream. But a dream. And yeah. that's just the Buddhist. Everything's an illusion. thing. Right. <laughs> wow. That's wonderful. That's, that's I know. Really, How yeah, cool is great. that? Yeah. Yeah. Wayne Dyer is yeah. awesome. Yeah. And so, so those veer moments that you talk about, you know, um, I found I was resisting them for quite a long time and, you know, from the being laid off twice, trying to get back into sales, trying to get, and once I released it and went with it, the veer now is the Varum. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, and I think, I think that's, you know, for the, for the sake of the show and keep it simple, stupid rule, we right. kind of like focus on the benefits of veering versus rooming just because yep. just to keep it simple metaphorically. Yeah. But really when you dig down deep, uh, it's not that simple. <laughs> and i realize that but you know branding as it is we want to keep things simple so uh, moving on um i I saw that you do some sort of shamanism in your coach training so is there a veer in your life related to how you got there because that's amazing to me right so i i was brought up presbyterian I was Lutheran, so we're okay. very close. <laughs> and 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 I, at that time, my parents were I don't I don't want to use the word nice, but were open enough to allow me to explore other at that time religions as opposed to spirituality. So I had a friend that was Catholic and would go to the Catholic service. Friend that was Lutheran went to the Lutheran services. So you know that's kind of my religious background, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older, moved over to Methodist because I didn't. I didn't really like the, the dogma so much of uh, of it, and Methodists seemed to be able to – I didn't know anything else, right? I didn't know anything else. It was just this would fit in best for me. Right. Well, and I'm not too sure how it started, you know, right back when, but it, it, I was on a spiritual journey, a search, looking for more meaning in life. And this was before my downsizing. So, okay. you know, if Pre-2000. you look at – Pre-2000. Pre-2000, but not much. Okay. So there is this, you know, this – Late 90s. Yeah, around that time frame, things were shifting in my in my life. You know, they sure. were starting to veer, <clears throat> and I um, there was a gentleman. I his name was John Randolph Price. I don't know if you ever read any of his books. No, amazing books. These small little pocket books. Um, one mm-hmm. of them was the Abundance Book. Another one was called Super Beans, and it was just fat. It just I got it. It was referred to it by a friend who knew I was looking for you know a different path, and in Super Beans, John Randolph Price talked about the mystery schools, the great mystery schools of ooh, Egypt and ooh, cool. the olden times and talked about how these mystery schools um, – they were called mystery because you couldn't put it into words what you experienced. It was all experiential and you couldn't – and it was it, – it, they unveiled the secrets of the universe to you. I love uh, that. Right? And it was just – so I got fascinated through with Through experience. This. Right. Through experience. So sure. it's just not teachings. Right. And so I looked up um, – just did a quick search back then of the internet being what it was, waiting for my dial-up modem to connect. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I, I, I was on a BBS back back in the day, my 24-baud modem. And that horrible noise that yes. you have to sit through, right? All of that. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> anyway, I found um, a, a mystery school, and uh, I, I called him up and talked to him about it. And of course they couldn't tell you anything because it was a mystery. They just said, if you called, you need to be here. Basically that's all they said. (laughs) What's it, what's it going to be about? They go, well, you'll find out when you get here. Well, you know, I kept asking questions. They had a list of some of the, um, uh, teachers that would show up and they had a gentleman from Hawaii who would teach Huna, which was my big attraction because, you know, Hawaii, we mm-hmm. go back to our Hawaii connection. And sure. I loved the concept of Huna. And there was other teachers there. And I just became just fascinated with what would go on. And so I enrolled, not knowing what I was getting involved in. It was 10 days of a sequester basically out at a, at a Frank Lloyd Wright facility in Joshua mm. Tree. Ooh, cool. No phones, no internet, no nothing. You know, it was just complete. And 
me and 12 other people went through this experience and we experienced different spiritual practices. <clears throat> well, towards the end of the first 10 days, there was a Native American pra- practice and we it was discussed around shamanism. Okay. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and so I just became so fascinated with it that during the six-month break before the next 10 days of this mystery school, I delved into it and studied with Michael Harner uh, and, and other gentlemen and people and just got into that. And, did, and and by no means am I an expert on it. Like There are some people out there that are just phenomenal. But I took what I could from the practice. Right, It's a spiritual practice that can be blended into any religion that you want or as a standalone. Okay. And I, I took what I could out of it. And started using it for myself and found it so helpful in getting guidance and direction in my life that many a times when I had decisions to do, I would do what they call journey work and talk to my power animal or my spirit guide or do some divination with a rock and some other things. And I just found it just just, uh, just amazing to help me. So during my coaching, I will – especially my – personal coaching i will yeah. use some of those techniques with my clients and so it's directly from a, a veer you know we're looking sure. on, i was on this religious path and then went to a spiritual path and it was just fascinating just loved it amazing yeah you know i went through a similar period too about the same time so i i know what you mean as far as like uh, first you start out in books and then you start reaching out and trying to do different sorts of experiences so, yep. yeah, yeah. And, and part of that, part of that included workshops and, and, uh, and going up to Harbin Hot Springs, uh, yep. doing like the, the five dance, what is it? Five rhythms dance. Right. So that's, um, Gabriel Roth. Yeah. Five rhythms. I was also trained in shamanic trance dance by wow. Wilbert and way Wilbert. So he's, he met Gabriel and, the, he calls them the bookends. So if you looked at five rhythms on one side, shamanic trance dance would be on the other side, and it puts together these. They, they, they complement each other. One is you know a therapeutic, and one is a spiritual practice as well. And right. it's wonderful stuff. Yeah, you know I I've not gotten too far into the five rhythms, other than I did like one workshop, and then. I was so buzzing after that workshop about movement in general that I found uh, a local kind of like dance church. Yep. yep. Yeah. And here in LA. Um, okay. So yeah, there's, it was a pretty there's, amazing. So there, there's that, you know, that's that whole is ecstatic dance part. Yes. With you. And one of the things that I loved about the, the trance dance that I was instructed in, it's blindfolded. Ooh, yeah. So, right, right. Because, because part of it, if you're new to, ecstatic dance you may feel awkward moving around you know what people think of me and what, what you know what is that person doing over there convulsing in the corner and you know all right, these things right. where you put the blindfold on you don't know who's looking at you and you can't look at anybody else and you just move and what's very interesting the movements are very small but they seem really big so when you get done with the dance you think your hands are flailing all over the place but the person who's facilitating it you know you're only moving a few inches right Yes. Uh, I, uh, the instruction that I got that I, I, it took me like, I think like the first day to get it, whatever the instruction was that they were trying to give me at this workshop with the five rhythms, it was kind of going over my head. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and I was still had my, my vision outward, you know, and, uh, and then 
finally it was like they were just got real blunt and said, everybody just look at their feet. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we mean by inward focus. Yep. There's a great dance group there. uh, Dances of universal peace in the LA area. Oh, okay. It's part part of the Sufi tradition. And they usually have a dance once a month and it's not, as ecstatic as the ecstatic dance, but it's something that is, again, you know, it's all part of this veer. Cause when I went to mystery school, one of the things we learned about was Sufis mm-hmm. and we did, we did some of the, the dance uh, that Rumi did. And so I got into, I mean, I'm, I, I am not a coordinated dancer by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Nor right? am I. Not, no. <laughs> that but doesn't however, matter. <laughs> this ecstatic dance was a nice veer because it allowed me to move. Cause I always like to move with music, but I felt, you know, like a big, albatross out there on the floor <laughs> that, you know it's like okay i'm not cool enough for this you know and so i would just never dance oh, yeah. well now these things this ecstatic dance the five rhythms the dances for universal peace uh the shamanic trance dance these ecstatic dances it, they're so accepting and it, this is you know a veer so you know the body mo- movement is wonderful with these yeah you know and that the thing that i got out of that was it blew right through a limiting belief of mine about my energy level. So this was kind of a uh, spontaneous sort of choice to just up and drive from LA to Harbin Hot Springs, you know, like nine hours away. Yep. And, uh, And I signed up like a day before, right? So, you know, after that nine hour drive, I was kind of tired. <laughs> and I didn't yep. really realize that we were going to be like dancing until like 11 o'clock or midnight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I didn't think I could. And then I did. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about, you know, how you're talking about the room, room and the veer. And I think a lot of people now that I'm as, as we're talking about my stories and your stories, I think we all have these tiny veers in our life and then we stop. Yeah, and, you're right. And don't continue. We we want to get back in the room part. We had these veers like that veer going up to Har- Hot Springs, right? You did at the last minute. And then what happens? And, you know, I, I think, you know, for myself is I, I look at life and there's all these little veers and at some time I back off of them and don't follow them through. And I've, it's you true. Know, it just, it, it's it, like we're – it seems it's easier to go and be comfortable. A right. veer is typically something jumping out of the comfort zone. Yep, exactly. I, I call it the complacent zone. The co- complacent zone. There you go. So, yeah, that is another thing that for me, I want to – this show – is yeah. part of my structure <laughs> right. of, of keeping me veering. Yes. You know, and, uh, and that reminds me of, um, I don't really, it's a, he's a martial artist. Um, and I can't remember his name, not important, but he's like right. a world champion of whatever his discipline is. Right. And I heard about him on the, uh, Tim Ferriss podcast. Anyway, he, you know, a lot of uh, martial artists will sort of like get really good at, you know, a thing or this thing or that thing. And they're like, he has made his whole practice about living in transition. Mm-hmm. 
if, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, like wrestlers or jujitsu guys, you know, they're like, okay, they're always wanting to, like us, we're always trying to get into the next room. Right, yep. He just lives in Veer. <laughs> yeah. And, and Bruce and Bruce Lee was big at that also, right? Right. When, when he was when he was doing that, when you know he was probably the one of the the first ones that would take a little bit of everything and experiment and veer and veer and veer and uh, you know just really respected him as a martial artist. But it, it's it's interesting to look at, you know, for the for the listeners and also is you know just for us is how often do we have an opportunity to veer and we don't? How right. often do we take the veer and turn around because the unknown is there? And then how often do we stay on that veer? And, and what is it eventually what is every, it about those yeah, things that, 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 we, we, that, we, we, that we react to? If you keep veering the same way, eventually it'll just become a vroom vroom, I think is, right. is the lesson there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, so it's like you have to build part of your structure is to remind yourself to veer every day. <laughs> Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Whether that's drive driving to work a new way or yes. going to a different grocery store or walk backwards or, every once in a while. Yep. yep. Be silly. Or, go, or go into a McDonald's and order Chinese food. <laughs> you can almost do that in Hawaii. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you know, just the thought of that scares some people to death that they would never go to a McDonald's and order Chinese food just right. to step out of the comfort zone. Right. Yes. Do you have any mushu pork? <laughs> That'd be great. I'm going to try that now. But then again, I, I can't because then I'd have to be in a McDonald's and there's nothing I want to eat in there. <laughs> well, it doesn't mean that you have to order, order I mean, anything. You just have to order. You're just there to order the mushu pork. If they don't have it, then you, you leave. You can just leave. There you right. go. There you go. I would feel bad. <laughs> I'd have to give somebody something. Yeah, right. You know, I was just also th- thinking about this Veer con- concept, which I'm fascinated with. I think it's an awesome, awesome Metaphor. concept. Metaphor, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, Seth Gooden wrote a book called The Dip. Okay. Right, and and in there he talks about most people will get to this dip. So he, you're going along life and you hit this dip and you have to climb out of the dip to continue on towards your goal. And then he talks about most people not – evaluating the importance of a new path or a new goal. Like at what point would you turn around? At what point Mm, would you say this is enough? And if you would ever say, if I get to this point, I'll turn around, then don't go there because you may hit that point. And we waste all this time on goals, but never go after them. And, you know, it's kind of like a veer at at some point, you know, if you're going to consciously go after a veer, then go after it until it's completed. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and there's another uh, methodology, and I'll run this by you and, and see if it fits your model. Um, if, you're, if you're stuck in inaction and you, and, you, and you have like an A, B decision, pick the one that feels the best mm-hmm. and take a few steps and see how it feels. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, yeah. And then if, if those feel good, keep going. If they feel like crap, at least you made a decision and got off of the fence. Right, right, exactly, yeah. exactly, and I think what you know what Seth was talking about is that really look at how important that goal is. You know, it goes from yes. the, do you really want that? Right, do you really want it? You know, if it comes easy, yeah, but if I have to put some work into it, no, then then don't do it. Yeah, if it's not a hell, yeah. Right, yeah. If it's not, you know, meh, you know, if it's meh, then you probably really shouldn't be walking down that road. Right. 
Right. Yeah. But but when these veers come up, it's just fascinating to trust, right? If the veer is a downstream veer, which we may not think, it may we may think it's upstream, like me, right? I got downside, I got here, I right. got you, you know, kept trying to turn turn around. You kept trying right, to right. turn the boat around, right? And at some point, it was like, okay, the veer seemed like it was downstream or upstream, but it was really downstream. My trying to go back to sales was really upstream. Right, right. And it's it's of course you get like twenty twenty vision uh, hindsight. <laughs> Right, right. I think that's called a black swan, right? When when you look back on things and justify them or analyze them, I think it's a economic term where you okay. look at the, the the current state of the economy and you go back and say, well, it's because this, 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 this. It's called a black swan. And I they, got that. Right, right. And so it's uh, we all can do that, but you know, it's and that's important to do, I think, uh, Jeff, because then we can attach that feeling that we had at that point to where we are now. So if we know that we're in face for another veer and I go, okay, this is what happened last time. And I, you know, I fought this five times. I, I'm going to go with it this time. Yeah. You know, and I think the key for me uh, on all of these things is more awareness. Yep. And it, and that's, you know, that's just the basic instruction for all spiritual training, right? It's how, how much can you expand your awareness every day? Yes, and that's where that uh, the key of any sort of mindfulness training comes in, you yep. know. And and I had this. I'll, I'm going to keep saying this because the more I say it, I think the better it comes out. But like when I do my meditation, for the longest time, I thought it was about the time on the mat. Right. I thought it was about okay. I got to get my breathing right, and I have to have that aha moment, and. And then I somewhere along the line, and it was more of an aha than a reading or anything else. It was like, no, no, no. You sit on the mat so you're better out when you're in the office or you're yes. better when you're out in traffic. And you want the, that awareness to expand to your day and into yes. your night and to the next day until yep. you get back to the pillow. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And then, and what's interesting is even coaching, a good coaching um, will bring awareness. So the mindfulness brings awareness. But when we have awareness, we then can take responsibility. Yes. We can develop right? a better response ability. Right. Yep. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And so if we don't have that mindfulness to be aware, then we are re- acting exactly. there you go there you go <laughs> we're acting the same way we did the day before yes. the month we're before acting the week. again yes right the reason so when, so when you know good. when you can create that awareness you can become responsible there you go man <laughs> greg this has been a blast and we hardly even touched on your life so that means we've got plenty more to dig into on the next time you're on the show Jeff, this was so much fun. It felt it felt like we were just kicking back and having a great conversation. That's what we want to do, right? It, yeah. It, first and foremost, your show has to be entertaining, and I think you really brought it, Greg. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate your time. All right. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.